Well, good morning, everybody. Are you awake yet? That was a mixed bag right there. I saw my doctor last week, and he, this is a true story. He said, I have a mixed bag for you. The problem was I never got to the good mix. Everything he told me was bad about what I went there for. So how many of you are having a good morning today? How many of you are having a morning today? I won't say a bad one because I don't know that you have a bad one with the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what comes, he's always there. Remain standing, if you will, and take your Bibles to Colossians chapter number one. I am thrilled today to be joined by my beautiful wife. She's right out there. I saw her. There she is, right there. And uh, what she didn't know is that basketball game's now four on four. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I do have a question, though, as you're turning your Bible. That looked like an older jersey. Who in the world wore number 42 back in the day? I mean, that was, that, that was a dress. Where are you, Dr. Burt? That was a dress you had on. That would have almost passed dress standard. That was amazing. And then uh, Friday, there's whack a teacher. I am a student in the master's program. I'm coming back Friday night. <laughs> Colossians chapter one, if you will. And also glad to have several of our students from our youth ministry and school and our youth leader here today and folks from the church that came over. I'm thankful for that. And I am the very happy dad of both uh, Aaron, some of you know him as Bobby, we've always called him Aaron, and of Drew, some of you know him as Andrew. Uh, when, when they were born, Aaron's name is Bobby Aaron, and he goes by Aaron in our home, but other places he goes by Bobby. And then we had Andrew David, and we call him Drew, but other places people call him Andrew. We had our third son, Caleb, who came over today. He's 15, and uh, my sister has, uh, in, the, in, the, in a nice way, she has a smart mouth, I'll put it that way. I haven't used it always in that term when we were younger, uh, but with Bobby, Aaron, Andrew, Drew, we had Caleb, Jonathan, and she looked at me and she said, what are you going to call him, Matthew? I mean, so that's just uh, my sister. Colossians chapter one, though, as we get down to business with the Lord as you stand together. Verse number 15, speaking of Jesus, the Bible says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Our Father, we bow our hearts before you right now, and we praise your name simply upon the reading of this tremendous text. Father, I pray that you would use it even now as we pray over this message. And I ask, Father, that you would speak to hearts today, that you would just simply use me as your vessel. I am here to deliver your message, and I pray that our hearts would be ready for it. I pray that our minds would be prepared to receive what you have, and that our feet would be more prepared to walk in your way today. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. I thank you for standing. You may be seated. My message today really is very simple. I have a reminder for you. 
and I have a challenge. A reminder of the greatness, and that word does not even satisfy the person that I am describing. The wonder, the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I come to you today with a personal challenge at the close of the message that I hope the Lord will apply to your heart. But as we do, I want to ask a question, and I want to tell a brief story about myself from when I was this age that I hope will understand what my, you'll understand my goal today with you. So I'd like to ask this question. I'd like to hear from all the 19 and 20-year-olds in the room. Let me hear from you. Where are you out there? 19 and 20-year-olds, where are you? Okay, I kind of figured at a college there'd be a handful of 19 and 20-year-olds out there. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, how many of you 19 and 20 year olds think you can drive? Okay. I have no further comment on that. But maybe you'll take something from my story. I was 19, almost 20 years old. I've been in Victorville and I've served at the church uh, this June 27 years. And I've been thankful for every opportunity I've had. Um, I was not yet married to my wonderful wife. We were in the dating phase back then. And I was driving home from work in my vehicle, and I decided to take what I thought was going to be a faster way. I drove down this side street. It ends in a dirt road, and then it comes up on a major street where the speed limit is 50 miles an hour, which we all know, if you give them 50, how fast do they go, okay? And if you give them that much, how fast do they go? And so sometimes people see the speed limit as the minimum, and I'm on a road that ends in dirt. And I thought, have you ever thought and thought wrong? I thought the road ended at that intersection. And it was in October of the year. I was almost 20. My birthday is in October. If you'd like to know what it is to send a card, I'll give you my birthday later on if you'd like. No, I'm just kidding. But I was going home and there was dusk so I couldn't see you ever driven when the sun's just in that right spot and all I could see at the end was the end of the road the signs and I thought that's where I was going the problem was the major intersection was two blocks before that sign there was no stop sign and I plowed into that street and little did I know until I felt the impact that I was going across that street. And I got absolutely T-boned on the passenger side, thank God, the passenger side, by a Mercedes-Benz of all vehicles. I don't remember anything else until everything stopped. My eyes were closed. And I'll be honest with you, I thought I was dead. And I'm sitting there and I'm going... If I'm dead, why is it still dark? That's not a good sign. And then I thought, oh, my eyes are closed. I, did, I really did. I went through this whole thing. And then I thought, if this is heaven, I didn't think a bush would be the first thing I saw. That's really what I thought. I'd been, I'm being dead serious with you. And then I realized I was alive and well. And I had been pushed into a wall and a bush and everything else. And then immediately, before I checked myself to see if I was okay, I thought, somebody hit me. 
and I may have hurt somebody very badly. So the side I was on, I can get out of, I rushed out and I looked and sure enough, there's this beautiful silver Mercedes Benz. Gentleman's got a cut on his nose, whether or not he's okay. Everyone's checking on us, making sure we're fine. Emergency personnel come in, check on all of us. My parents come. I was still living at home at that time at my age. And they come and they pick me up and they take me home. And I remember my dad in such a loving, tender, kind way saying, son, the important thing, and I'm, some of you may have heard this if you've ever had an accident. My dad said, son, cars can be replaced. People can't. I'm glad you're doing okay. And I was really rattled. The next day, of course, I woke up very sore. But other than that, replacing a vehicle and all that, I was okay. Two weeks later, I kid you not, two weeks later, I was driving home from church. I had had a youth worker meeting. And I was driving home, and I stopped to get a Pepsi at the convenience store. And so I'm coming. I'm at the intersection before our house where there's a two-way stop. I'm supposed to stop the other side. I didn't look well enough. I did a California stop. I went through the intersection. A car swerved out of my way. Two weeks later, to make matters worse, they chased me home. Pulls in the driveway. He gets out of the car, and he says, It's you! I said, huh? He said, you were the guy who hit the other guy two weeks ago. I was behind him. I'm thinking, Lord, are you teaching me something? He certainly was. He gets in my face. My dad comes out. My dad says, what's going on here? Now, if you know, my dad's a preacher. He looks like a preacher. Everything about him. He comes out and he's, what's going on out here? He has that baritone voice. And this guy said, is this your son? And he said, yes, it is. And he said, he needs to learn how to drive. And I thought, yeah, I do, actually. I really need to learn how to drive. He said, he needs to learn how to drive. And I said, I saw him two weeks ago get into a bad accident. And this time I had to swerve around him. My dad looked at him and he said, young man, he was a little, he was a little bit older than me, but far younger than my dad. He said, young man, if you had to swerve, that means you were driving pretty fast in my neighborhood. Why don't you slow down, get back in your car, and head home? And I went. I looked at that guy like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Takes two to tango, buddy. <laughs> so we walked back into the house, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, praise the Lord. <sighs> Cars can be replaced. People can't. I'm glad everybody's okay. And all I heard was, boy. And I thought, we're not getting that talk right now. He looked at me and he said, what is wrong with you? And that moment, I thought everything. And he said, he was right. You need to learn how to drive. And he said, if you don't straighten up, you're going to hurt somebody or kill somebody or kill yourself. He said, straighten up. And I got the message. For the next six months, I drove like grandma. I still tried to be a careful driver. Why would I give you that story? Because today I want to give you some encouragement that I thank God that you are here. It blesses me to walk in and see your spirit, see your attitude, see the, see the, the, the way in which you sing. And I know the desire that's in your heart. And some of you are seniors and in a few months you'll be out serving in churches. Some of you are freshmen and you're learning what it is that God has for you. And I'm glad you're in this place. And in a certain way, I want to give you a reminder to encourage you who this is all about to keep on keeping on. But please listen, I want to give you another type of encouragement as well at the end. And 
and I want you to listen well. I hope as a friend of you and of this college, even if we have not met, someone who would come in today and say, hey, remember who this is all about. It's not all about us. It's all about the one who called us. And in Colossians 1, verse 15, I want you to see these words. Who, verse 13 and 14, tell us that this is Jesus. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And I want to challenge you today to remember who it's all about. But for some of you today, there's a time for choosing in your life. There's a time to decide. To decide who this is going to be about. Is this about your life and what you want to accomplish? Or is this about your Lord and what he longs to do through you in his work? Because I want you to see in that very first phrase where it says, who is the image of the invisible God Jesus Christ, and this will not be a new statement, but this is one that I want to impact us right to the heart. It's not, none of what I'm about to say I don't believe in the next few moments is going to necessarily be new knowledge to many Bible school students. But I want it to impact you. The Lord who calls you to this college, the Lord who gave you the opportunity to come here to the Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College to train in what really is a miracle work of God. When you are here, recognize you are in a miracle in the desert. Your pastor here, Pastor Chapel, is a man of God in the true sense of the term. Those who serve with them are true servants of God, as he is as well. And in the world's way, this does not make sense, but by the grace of God. This church, this ministry, this opportunity that you have is truly the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in the eyes not just of the people of this church, but people across America who've been influenced by this place. I want you to know that you are blessed to be here, but remember something, all of this is the work of your Lord, and that He is God. When you step outside tonight, before you go into your dorm, perhaps after the basketball game, and you walk back to their dorm, take a moment and look up and recognize the same God who put all the stars in space is the very same God who has a purpose in your individual life because he is God of this very universe. When Scripture says he is the image of the invisible God, that word image speaks of being an exact representation. This world offers a lot of cheap copies. Jesus is the real thing in the ultimate sense. The exact representation. What that is saying is this. He is Lord of all. And Jesus said of it himself. 
In John 14, 9, after that wonderful section where he says, I go to prepare a place for you, Thomas asked the question, we we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You remember that passage? Three verses after that, Philip, one of his disciples, asked that they might see the Father. This is Jesus' response in verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Jesus told him, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul wrote, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You want to know who God is? Watch Jesus. Pay attention to him. You are a servant of the Most High God. But consider something else. The firstborn, Scripture says in verse 15, of every creature. The firstborn of every creature. Verse number 18, look there with me if you will. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In what I just read, firstborn is used twice. The firstborn of every creature, the firstborn of the dead, and then that he might have the preeminence. I remind each of you today that Jesus Christ is preeminent and is to have preeminence in your life, the ministry that he has you in now and in whatever ministry he calls you to down the road. Some of you are, sur- are preparing to be pastors someday. The church that you will be in one day is not yours, it is his, and he is to have the preeminence. Some of you will teach and maybe teach now a Sunday school class. That class is not yours, it is his, and he's to have the preeminence. And you would say, well, the Lord is important to me. That's not what the verse is saying there. The Bible does not say that in all things he would have the importance. The Bible does not say that in all things he might have the value. Those words are great and those words may be included, but that's not the full understanding of the meaning. Preeminence basically means that he might be in the first place in everything. In your life, in your walk, in your way, in your talk, in your dating life, in your service life, in your studying life, in whatever aspect of your life that it is, God has called you to have Jesus Christ in the preeminent position of your life before anything else, before anybody else. In the near future, I'll do another wedding, I'm sure. But in every wedding I ever do, as I stand before a very happy couple, I shock some lost people when they come to weddings. And I say this, from this day forward, and I'll look at the groom, and I'll say, this day forward, young man, this young lady that you're marrying is to be the second most important person in your life. Who's number one? Christians know the answer, but we don't often live the answer. Lost people are totally confused. I can see them jump. And I'll look at her and I'll say, young lady, from this day forward, this young man is to be the second most important person in your life if you both desire to have the type of marriage that's going to please God. Because that number one in your marriage must be and always has to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is preeminent. And you say, Pastor, I know that. I've heard that. Why is it so important? Let me fill you in on what some of what's going on in our culture today. This is happening currently. I spent more time with our church family recently going over some things. But in brief, I'll give you this. This was actually recorded a few years ago, but just came out and hit. Maybe you've seen it. 
where leaders in a church on a Super Bowl Sunday, it, it bothers me to even say this, but I think it's good for you to hear. I felt it was good for our church to hear, to see the direction the world's going and for our church to say, not here. And God willing, in your works, wherever you serve or will serve, not there. On a Super Bowl Sunday, for whatever reason, I guess because they, personally, it must be because they don't think the Lord is enough. They have to do things to help God reach people, maybe. I have no idea what their thinking is. My personal belief is it's a lack of thought that goes into some of these things. But be that as it may, this has actually happened in churches in your country. Leaders in a church got up and they had a coin toss as to who was going to kick off. And the lady leader, I don't know if she was the pastor of the church in this scenario or the man, I don't know if it was husband, I have no idea, it didn't describe who they were, but she won the coin toss and she elected to kick off. They didn't kick a football. It wasn't kickoff of a soccer match. It was apparently the kickoff of church. And how many of you saw, anyone see what they kicked? This most holy word. I only have one answer for that. That's wrong. Amen. I don't care who you are, where you're from, that's wrong. That's right. And you'd say, I would never do that. Let me, ask, let me just ask you this, how far would you go? Because anything less than Jesus Christ is no good. I don't know if it was the same place or not. But they had a singer get up and I thought for sure they changed the words. They did not. I found a way to hear more of what they did. And this singer gets up in a church setting and sings a song that talks about low places where all kinds of wickedness happens in church. And people moving and gyrating to all of that. I hear of churches where, I guess in order to pe teach people theology, they have 30-second theology. Let's take a commercial from the world and let's give people some truth from it. Have we decided God's no longer good enough? Personal example, personal example. I was sitting across having a meal with a very nice family. I don't, they're an acquaintance. I don't know them that well. But the lady told me, we love our church. The most popular Sunday is when we have movies and popcorn Sunday. And we watch a movie and the pastor gives some biblical challenge at the end of it. It's the most highly attended service we have. Of course it is. Now I'll say this. God will judge. Those. I'm, I'm, not here, I'm not here to judge them. I'm just here to say that's what's going on in your country when it comes to the things of God anymore. And I will guarantee you, young men studying to be a pastor, you'd say, I'll never do that. There is a constant pull on pastors all across America. A constant pull. And I just want to say to you very quickly, as we get to an application in a moment of what is needed for this to genuinely happen in our lives, for more than a statement, but for a reality. Christ is preeminent in your life. And he deserves nothing less than the top place. Continues on and of course says that he is creator of all things. 
Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he made hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, that which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty spoke these worlds into existence. That's the gods you serve. And yet God said, let us make man in our image and formed man of the dust of the ground. You look at the spectacular things that you can see in the universe and you see all that wonder. You see the expanse of nature. You see all of those things and God spoke that into existence. But when it came to man, he formed man of the dust of the ground. That's a personal God. And then he took, not from the foot of man or from the head of man, from the side of man, the place closest to his heart, a rib. And he formed woman. That's a personal God. Your personal God, if you are saved, your heavenly Father, your Lord, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the three-in-one, God of very gods. But it says of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May I ask you, that preeminent one, that creator God, have you bowed the knee? And you say, I've done that. Let me ask you this. Have you bowed that knee today? Have you given him today? Paul said, I die daily. One more thought. Again, verse number 17, he is before all things. And by him all things consist. To consist, to sustain, it means to prevent from falling. You can have all the science that you want, and I understand gravity, and I get that, and I understand the tides, and I get that, and I understand the rotation and the axis of, axis of the earth. I get all of that, and there's a very important aspect of understanding how it all happens, but don't forget by whom it all happens. It is God who put everything in just the perfect place, in just the perfect way. And all of this that I've given describes to you Jesus Christ and so much more. Time would fail us. Eternity would fail us. John wrote this. All the books of the world could not contain what Jesus did just in those three and a half years of ministry. All of this describes your Savior. He created you. He gave his life for you. He sustains you and everything that you see. And he deserves the preeminent place in your life, your pursuits, your goals, your daily plans, your all. He deserves the preeminence because it is his and his alone. And with that, I want to take you to an application of the book of Judges. A reminder and a challenge. Judges chapter 7, the story of Gideon. The last time I was here, I preached from the life of Gideon in a different story. Gideon, there is so much about him. So much about his life. Gideon began fearful and hiding. Then he was fearful and following. Then he was fearful but obeying then he was fearful and testing. And then at a point came that he had a confidence in the Lord that led him out to battle. The sad thing is, we won't go there today, Gideon had a, had a tough start, but then he followed God. 
And at least he followed. And as he grew, he grew in faith. But he didn't have a good finish. He didn't finish as well as he began in that race. But it's maybe the most familiar aspect of the life of Gideon that I want you to see in Judges chapter number 7. Look at verse number 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. Several years ago, we had a family in our church from Cameroon. My wife and I went to visit them on a Saturday not long after they had started attending. They moved to the East Coast several years ago for them to study medicine. But while they were in our church, they were a great blessing. And we went to visit them. And I had, a, I had a question that I'll ask people often from other countries that come to America. And I asked this dear lady, I said, what's the big difference between Christianity in Cameroon and in America? She said, in America, she said, church is a part of your life. She said, in Cameroon, church is your life. In America, we do, in America, we do some things to be obedient to the Lord. In Cameroon, if you're a Christian, Jesus is all that you have. And I want to give you two words with this challenge. The first one I give you, you might hear it in a bit of a negative light. I don't believe it's a negative word. I just believe that there's a stronger word. The first word is commitment. And I believe every Christian ought to be committed to that Savior who is their God, their Creator, their Sustainer, the preeminent one. But there's an aspect of commitment whereby I keep some control. There really is. Because I commit, I decommit. The word I want you to focus on as we look that I believe is key in your life is not commitment, it's surrender. It's an absolute personal surrender, and I believe there's something that happens here that presents a picture to us of what surrender really looks like. Do you remember that final battle? There were 135,000 Midianites. There were 32,000 Israelites, and God says that's too many. That's more than four to one. That is this. Let's see here. Gentlemen on the end, what's your, what's your name? Andel. Andel. Would you stand for just a moment, Andel? All right. I know this guy. Hi, George. Okay. See ya. <laughs> he, served, he served with us at our church last year. Okay. And this guy, Clayton, Clayton stand up. And this gentleman, Luke. Luke, stand up. And over here, you knew I was coming to you. Okay. What's your name? Trent. Trent. Okay. All right. All right. Now, four on one's not a good battle. Right? Can you take these guys four on one? Can you do it? Come on, man. Tell me you can. No, I'm just, he's like, no, I'm, gonna be on. I'm in chapel and I cannot lie. I can't do it. Okay. All right. All right. That's not good. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Do you, do you get the idea there? And God says too many. So think about this. Any of you that are afraid, go home. 22,000 leave. 
I didn't do the math on that about what the percentage, well, it's pretty easy. There's 10,000 left. That's 13 and a half to one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and you only try half the time. What's your name? Megan? Okay, so Megan, you just, you're, you're half a person. All right, all right. Just in this, you're important before God. God loves you. We all love you. But in the illustration, you're half a person. Okay. All right. So you didn't, you didn't, over here, you didn't want four to one, did you? You didn't want, we didn't want four to one. Now you got 13 and a half to one. How do you like those odds? God says too many. And you, you know the story. They go to the brook and those that drink like a dog and those that lap the water. And there's only 300 left. And God says, perfect. Why? Because it's a reminder to all of us that it's all about him and not about us. The battle's the Lord's. If it can be done in any way that we might think we get the credit, what it's going, what's it going to be? Not a faith. We live by faith, not by sight. And in this Cliff Notes quick version of the story, remember this though. Everyone that was left was brave and willing to die. They were part of the group that was willing to die. They said, I'm not afraid, I'll go. 300 men, three groups of 100 each, a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. A trumpet would speak to us today if we were to make an application. A trumpet would speak of the message. It sounded forth. Paul wrote of the Thessalonians that the, it sounded forth in Thessalonica. From you, the word of God, it trumpeted. It makes a clear sound. It makes a rousing sound. It's a call to an alarm. Part of what I'm up here to do today is a call to an alarm. Look at your country. Recognize the need and the impact that several hundred students can have if you surrender yourself completely to him. There's a torch. The Bible calls it a lamp. The lamp is a fire. It's a light. Of course, we know that the light of the world is Jesus Christ. The light that we have comes from Him. It's not of us, it's of Him. It's the light of the world. And then there is a pitcher. Now, it didn't look like this, obviously, but Lowe's doesn't carry those type of pitchers anymore. Apparently, Lowe's carried them 3,000 years ago. Okay, for all of you out there, there was no Lowe's back then, just to help. All right. And a pitcher. It's this pitcher I want you to see. Because Paul wrote in Corinthians that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, speaking of us. Paul told Timothy that we might be a vessel unto honor, speaks of the cleansing of our lives. Young people, be a clean vessel. But I want to get to one other thing. You know the answer. For the light to shine, the torch was hidden by the vessel, was hidden by the pitcher. For the light to shine, what had to happen? It was cast aside and it was broken. That's what I believe is missing among many Christians today. We make a commitment, but it's about us. We decide. How about this? When's the last time we had God decide on our lives and we fully surrender to him? We were broken. You see, sometimes we think we ought to be this way and we ought to be clean. But you know what God wants that to happen with a clean vessel? It's not just this. He wants this. Before that light were to ever shine and you take all those hundreds of lights and the pitcher and the shout, it all made, of course, the army seem bigger than it was and they were bigger than they thought because God was on their side. But when those broke, 
the light could shine forth. And college students, today I urge you and I challenge you very simply in your life. Some of you, maybe many of you, need your life to be like this. That instead of saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, a commitment is all good and well, but I believe what we really need, what we really need is a surrender where we are broken before God. Broken for His use. Why? Because it's not me that the world needs to see. God wants to use the talents that he's given me. And God has given me giftedness by his spirit to be used and to function within the church. But listen, it's not about me. And it's not about you. And it's not about your skill. God already knows your skill or your lack thereof. Some of you think, I could never do it. Sometimes it's the opposite of it. You know what God wants? He doesn't necessarily, he's not looking at your skill or lack thereof. He knows what you have or you don't have. What he's looking for is you to be broken that the light may shine forth and make a difference in the world when we say, my God, he is preeminent in my life. He must increase and I must decrease. He is at the top position and I sit below him. Whatever he wants is what I'll do. I'll be willing to go where he would have me to go. I'd be willing to do what he'd have me to do. I'm willing to be broken for the Lord. I can remember the day that my heart was broken. I had already answered God's call. I remember the day my heart was broken. And many others in this room can remember that moment where this vessel was broken now so that the light could shine forth. And I want to ask you this question. Does this look like your life? If you really want to be used of God the way He longs and wants to use you, think of this, God wants to use you more than you want to be used. It's an incredible thought. But to really be used... This vessel's got to be broken. That's your life. That's your person. That's your heart. It's not you. It's Christ in you. It's Christ through you. That that supreme one would be supreme in your life. A reminder of who he is and a challenge of our surrender to him in whatever it is and whatever he would have.